How is one benefit advisor providing more value and differentiating their practice by integrating direct pay primary care with their traditional offerings? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of Shift Shapers is sponsored by MyEdge, the premier provider of Form 5500 prospecting solutions for benefit advisors. Local, regional, and national advisors rely on this affordable, easy-to-use, real-time search engine to find their target prospects. For more information, visit our website at www.shiftshapersonline.com. Today, we're very excited to be chatting with Craig Scurato. Craig is the founder and managing member at Simplify Benefits, and they're doing some very interesting, different things, and Craig's kind of thought leader in the industry. We thought it would be fun to chat with him about a new direction that he's taking. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, David. For our listeners, a little bit about your background to get started, please. Sure. Well, I, I started out as a, a group representative for Unum in a, a very long time ago, 1989, and spent really the first 20 years of my career working with you know national and regional brokers and consultants. And about six years ago, I joined the uh, family business, Leslie Saunders Insurance, and took over our group book of business, which was primarily uh, small to medium-sized businesses. And um, after going through a couple of renewal cycles with a very limited uh, toolbox of solutions, I, I started thinking there must be a better way to, for, especially for small employers, to offer you know, the financial security of health insurance to their employees. So I started playing around with, I formed Simplified Benefits in 2012 and started playing around with the individual market. And in particular, knowing that the reforms with the ACA were coming felt like we'd be able to do our job a lot easier with guaranteed issue health insurance. Now, when, when you took over, did the agency have a benefits practice or is it something you built? No, it did. I, I inherited, um, and it's really very much a boutique practice kind of friends and family and spread out all over the place. But like I said, we, we had a book of business and I just assumed responsibility for it. Interesting. Interesting. So that must've been a fun challenge to undertake. Yeah, it was fun. It was being somebody who had worked primarily mid-market accounts, particularly in life and disability, where you could get creative. Coming into having to learn all the different state market reforms in small group was was very uh, daunting, to say the least. And and to have almost no creativity other than to say, okay, your rates just went up thirty percent. Are you going to pay all of it or some of it? You know, that's one box. Are we going to? I don't like moving carriers, so that was never part of my. I think that's my old group rep loyalty. The other choice was that we're going to make your plan worse by 15% and then go back to box A and decide, are you going to pass the whole 15% on or how much of it? And I just, I, I saw that there was an opportunity to really lever the individual health insurance. And I have to give a hat tip to Zane Benefits and Paul Zane Pilzer, who's written extensively about that stuff, is really kind of my inspiration to try to make this a, uh, a functional employee benefit without having the employer being involved in picking and sponsoring and administering a health plan. So you went from no creativity to loads of creativity. Was the first instance the move towards a private exchange kind of thought process for you guys? 
Well, I first started doing it, you know, one off. And I like to experiment with my great ideas on myself first. So I spent about six weeks applying for my Blue Cross plan and I wanted to shoot myself. And even though my premium was about 25% of what the small group rates were, I was about ready to say, okay, forget this. I'm, I'm done with this. I'll go back to just doing <laughs> doing the usual. And then, frankly, when I saw the, the guaranteed issue in the ACA, I realized, okay, here we go. Now it, it won't be impossible and painful to write all this individual insurance. And then I contracted with a, a major partner that was uh, CMS qualified as a web entity so we can, on our exchange, offer both premium tax credit assistance as well as the quote-unquote off-exchange plans. So that gave me the ability to scale it. And that, that was my vision to make this a national thing. Now, that was interesting. And, you know, as you and I've discussed off air, private exchanges are kind of now morphing into a, a 2.0 universe. And what's most interesting to me and I think to our listeners will be some a new wrinkle that you've kind of brought to the thought process. And listeners of the podcast um, know that a few episodes back, we had a really interesting chat with Erica Bliss, who's an MD who runs Q-Lions out in the uh, Pacific Northwest. And we were talking about direct pay primary care and how important that is, especially in, in light of some of the ACA changes. And that's something that obviously you saw as well. And you started to think about integrating that into the into the model that you're running. Talk a little bit about that thought process and how that came about. Sure. It's a, that's actually been about a, a two and a half year exploration as well. And as fate would have it, I had a very small business client, actually one of my first Simplify Benefits clients that wasn't already a client or a friend of a friend who happened to be in association with Erica out in Seattle. And after we finished uh, putting together her plan, she said, you know, I've got this woman in my woman president's organization group that I just think you need to meet. I don't know if you guys could do anything together, but I just think you need to meet her. And she introduced me to Erica. And so I went on the Q-Lions site and I said, wow, that's really cool. I hadn't, I hadn't seen that. That was my first exposure to direct primary care. And so I reached out to her and we were kind of what I would call pen pals for, you know, about a year, year and a half. She's obviously been very busy. And she invited me out to the direct primary care summit in Virginia in June. And I was going to be out that way anyway. And so I went with the hope of really just learning more about it. And I exceeded that by so much. That was the best $350 I ever spent on a convention in terms of learning and relationship building. And, and really what hit for me at that meeting was uh, I was the only insurance guy there, 300 physicians or, or residents. And I felt like by putting the direct primary care together with the appropriate insurance and really reordering that thought process. So thinking of your primary care first and then doing the insurance after that based on what your needs are, I felt like that gave me really a solution, not just prior to that, Simplify Benefits, I think, was a compelling monetary argument. The, the individual health landscape, I think, is more competitive than the small group. It's certainly not less competitive in any market. Right in Vermont, where they're blended, um, it's the same. But in most places, there's still a pretty major spread. But again, that's just financial. That doesn't improve anybody's health. And, and so I, I was you know, kind of sitting there and I was talking to some of these doctors and, and I, you know, it occurred to me that you know, so many people, including our politicians, they say healthcare and they're talking about health insurance. And that, that's always frosted me. And on, I, I do that myself when I'm talking to people, <laughs> unfortunately. And I said, you know what? This, I'm surrounded by healthcare. I was listening to these doctors talk about their journeys. And I know you talked to Erica about that and Garrison, her cousin. But you talk to these physicians and 
they just want to treat people and make them better. And I started thinking, boy, their biggest problem, though, is people have these insurance plans and they say, but wait, I already get preventive care for free. Why would I pay you 60 or 70 bucks a month? Or you know, I only go to the doctor once or twice a year and that's a copay. That should only be $20 or $40. And I just felt like, boy, if I could work with them and put this together, we could really solve a lot of problems on both the cost side, which are dramatic, but more importantly, get people the kind of health care that they need that has zero barriers in terms of time or money. You know, and to me, that's impactful and exciting. So that's why I'm going down this rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> now, directly primary care or medical home, if you prefer, is not a new concept. So when you were at this convention in Virginia, you were chatting with physicians. Where are their heads on this? I mean, obviously, it was, it was a conference tailored to that. But what's the thinking? I mean, are they gravitating towards that? Or is it something they're going grudgingly towards? Or uh, That's a great question. Boy, you know what? And I, and I, have, I would have to say in the last, since that conference, I've pretty much had uh, either face-to-face meetings literally all around the country from Las Vegas to Colorado to Philadelphia to many points in between with a lot of primary care physicians. And in a lot of ways, it's about a quality of life for them in terms of they're tired of the 30 to 35 patient visits a day for five minutes and then in the fee-for-service world. So part of it's quality of life for them. But I think ultimately what it is and what was neat to see from these students was, you know, we did all this work. We took all these loans out so that we could go take care of people. We've, we've been given some talents and some gifts, and we just want to take care of patients and help them get better. And they look at the direct primary care model as a way to do that. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. So I think it's going to save uh, the primary care shortage because a lot more students and residents are interested in primary care now because they can make a pretty good living. They're not you know, doing this to become multimillionaires, but they can make a good living and they can actually feel like they're treating patients and helping people get better as opposed to just grinding it out 30 to 35 meetings a day. Now a word from our sponsor, MyEdge, the premier provider of Form 5500 prospecting solutions. Are you wasting valuable time searching for qualified leads? The MyEdge prospecting solution makes it easy to research, find commissions, premiums, fees, and see all the current lines of coverage an employer is reporting. Why not use a targeted 5500 prospecting solution that was designed specifically for benefit advisors? MyEdge supplies the data that counts when you need to research prospects or learn what competitors are selling in your market. And learning to use MyEdge is fast and easy. When your prospecting data is accurate and with real-time updates, you'll spend less time researching and more time selling. To learn more about this innovative prospecting solution, visit our website at www.shiftshapersonline.com. The whole notion that you're expressing, that you're describing, is something that was inherent in the original HMO discussions. And physicians hated all of that stuff. Are they gravitating towards the same conceptual idea now because it's a subscription model and that makes more sense for them? There's, there's no top-down controls for them to deal with? Is that kind of... Was that the barrier that got removed? Well, I think you hit that right on the head. And it's funny, I was actually, Erica, Dr. Bliss was gracious enough to give me a little tour of her, uh, one of her facilities in Seattle this last February, where she was sharing with me some of the things she was doing. And I just said what you said in the sense of, wow, that sounds just like a capitation HMO model, except for the big difference is the doctor came up with what the capitation amount was. They didn't have an insurance company say, look, here's five bucks a head for everybody 
a month for everybody who signs up for your practice. Now you go figure out how to, how to allocate those funds. We all like predictability. So I think if you're a physician and you run out the numbers and say, if I have 800 to 1,000 patients and I'm collecting you know, 500 to $1,000 a year from each of those patients, then I can run my business the way I want to run my business. And then certainly there are others who have more ambitious uh, you know, expansion dreams around that. But I think the essence is that it gives them some predictability and mostly it allows them the time to take care of patients the way they would like to do it. Well, and, and they also get to define their own scope of services. And, and so it's kind of a question that came up in my mind. Is there a huge variation from one physician group to another in terms of what that scope of services is? Or is there kind of a, a generally agreed basket of basic services that they'll provide in these practices? That's a great question. And, and one of the things that was said often at this conference in June was if you've seen one direct primary care model, you've seen one direct primary care model. And so I think not unlike the exchange, quote unquote, uh, private exchange space, there's a lot of different variations. But I do think they tend to have the commonality of, I, I explain it to people when I'm talking to them conceptually, is you know, the things that the doctor can deliver within their four walls are going to be covered by the membership fee. If they uh, start, if you know, many of them dispense generic prescriptions and you would be blown away by how inexpensive that is. Literally, many, many medicines in many therapeutic classes, the bottle and the label cost more than a month's supply. The labs, that is unbelievable. And that's really, the, really to me, the very impactful piece for the employer-sponsored model is the lab work that they get contracted with national players, the Quests, the LabCorp, it, literally 10 to 15% of retail. And so, so again, there, there are different spins on that. And I don't know enough about medicine to, to get it, but you know, some people will freeze warts and do minor, you know, minor suturing and stuff like that. That, but, but generally speaking, if the doctor can do the procedure in the four walls of their office, it's included in your membership. And that, to me, that's an unbelievable bargain for 50 to a hundred bucks a month. So moving back over to kind of the consumer side or the benefit advisor side, how has ACA impacted all of this discussion about direct pay primary care? That's great. The ACA itself has some different components that were built in dealing with direct primary care. And a lot of times states are having to step into with legislation. Some states are more friendly to the concept than others. You know, for the physician, their biggest thing that they have to be careful about is that they're not perceived as insurance. And for those that are trying to band together to have multiple locations, of independent practices, they need to be careful not to be a PPO network because of the regulatory environment and that. But, but really where, I, again, my perspective was more on the insurance piece. And when I talk to people, I think of, you know, if you think of a pyramid, for most of us, because we have associated healthcare and health insurance as being the same, the health insurance is at the base of the pyramid. And then it's the vast majority of the pyramid. And then maybe the healthcare is in the middle piece and then you're in the consumers kind of up at the top. And what the ACA allows us to do is completely flip that base and make the base the primary care and make the filling the insurance. And what I mean by that is when you've got a guaranteed issue health insurance marketplace for individual insurance, now an individual can tailor their insurance based on their needs over and above the primary care. is That's what we're trying to do. And, and to be able to make that fairly digestible to consumers who are not used to purchasing all of these things on their own. So that speaks to the cost side of, of the universe. 
Are there also health improvements? I mean, can employers employing this kind of a strategy find a bend in the trend? Yeah, I think so. You know, the, when I look at my larger groups and we're, you know, we're getting data, what we're seeing is where that we can actually make some judgments about is, and this shouldn't be shocking, look, there's a primary care shortage. People are pressed for time. You see these medic, you know, urgent care medical and telemedicine has exploded. Those are all built around not wanting to go to the emergency room. And because now you've got some financial incentive to not do that. And I can't get into my family doctor because my family doctor is seeing 35 patients a day. So that's what these urgent care and telemedicine do. And those are really, you know, based on symptoms and not, you know, kind of maintaining health. And I think if you're an employer and you're saying, well, how could I get my, you know, the more people in my population that actually have a relationship with a primary care physician, the better off I'm going to be because those people are going to have routine care and they should theoretically at least be taking the appropriate therapies and then hopefully maybe even getting off those therapies. And, and so their health will be a lot better um, because there's not a barrier to them accessing that care. So if, if I'm a benefit advisor and I want to try to bring this mindset to some of my groups, are there yet, is it still too early, are there national networks of physicians who are in this direct pay primary care treatment mode or practice mode? Or is it way too early for that yet? And if it is, how do I go about doing that? Yeah, there's some cool models. So there are, there are companies, you know, Paladina Health being one, Iora Health, uh, I think tends to work more in the work with actual health plans. But, but it is, is growing. The bulk of the direct primary care practices are just independent practices. So it's uh, you know, Dr. Uh, Welby, MD, who used to be a fee-for-service provider, just decided, you know what, if I'm going to continue doing this, I'm, I'm just switching over to the direct primary care model. There's really not a great organization of that yet. That's certainly something we're, we're trying to do. So what people need to do is they need to just Google. There's some, you know, some direct primary care websites, but not that have some links, but there's nothing cohesive and easy. There's not a, you know, like a yellow pages, unfortunately, of direct primary care practices. But you just, if you Google it, that's a good place to start. Frankly, uh, you know, if you can find a physician's office in, that's close to your business, reach out to them. Or if you're an advisor, look in your community and reach out to those primary care physicians and figure out how to integrate it in the plan. It's actually, there's a bunch of easy steps that you can take to do it. Craig, in the couple of minutes that we've got left, the question we always like to end on is where do you see the future? If you trend this out a couple of years and then maybe five years or whatever, what does it look like? I mean, you, you've done a lot of the base work already and you've had a lot of the preliminary conversations. What do you see it building out to? Well, I, you know, I think this ends up going from, to now it's kind of a luxury. So let's say, you know, direct primary care is essentially a more uh, a democratized version of maybe concierge medicine or, you know, the places in big cities or the physicians in big cities that have been cash pay only for a long time or the physicians that, you know, people are paying forty or $50,000 a year to, to, you know, fly around with them. Um, direct primary care brings that same level of service to a more mass market. And I think right now it's a luxury. But I think when you look at, someone told me, I don't know exactly the source, but, you know, four or five years ago, there was maybe 150 family physicians that were practicing some form of direct primary care. And now there's 4,000. There's only 200,000 family physicians, period. And in my opinion, in the next three years, you're going to go from a luxury to a necessity. Because if you understand what it takes for an independent family doctor to stay in business, 
you would never go to medical school, but, but if you've already gone down that path and you are in medicine, you're either three or four years from now, you're either going to be doing direct primary care, you're going to be owned by maybe some equity group that owns a bunch of independent direct primary care, or you're going to be working for a hospital-based system. And most of the doctors don't like working for that hospital-based system. It's not a great quality. Of, you know, it doesn't really solve the quality of life problem. It might solve the financial problem. So I think three years from now, uh, direct primary care is going to be the only way that people who want to have an ideal relationship with a physician are going to be able to have it. Uh, that's a great place to leave the discussion for today. But as the years go by, we'd love to come back and revisit and kind of see how how it's all growing. And, and there's certainly a few pioneers out there like you who are thinking about new and different ways to do this. And it'll be interesting to see where the big intersection of the direct primary care market and the changes that are going on within all of our uh, more democratized and more increased personal responsibility part of, of our plans are as Americans. So Craig Scarato, founder and managing member at Simplify Benefits. Craig, thanks for a fascinating discussion. Thanks, David. For more information about this episode or about any of our earlier episodes and to learn how to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode, go to our website, shiftshapersonline.com. While you're on the site, leave a comment and register to be part of the Shapers community. You'll be the first to learn about upcoming specials like exclusive webinars and content you can use to take your business to the next level. Again, thanks for joining us for today's episode. And remember, you have the power to shape the shifts in your business.